0: Yay! So nice to be with all of you. I'd I'd like to do something um, just right out of the gate, so to speak. I'd like to turn our attention um, to the word of God. I'm going to read a passage out of Luke chapter 10. If you brought a Bible with you, uh, you can turn there, Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible app, you're welcome to peruse through that as well. Um, I will say this, um, just knowing the, the people, that if you use a Bible app, which I use a Bible app, just so you know, right? But I go from Bible app to Facebook to Instagram to Bible app to Facebook to Instagram. <laughs> I mean, you do you, but I'm just saying <laughs> whatever you got to do to get in this stuff into you. Um, if you don't have either of these things, it's all good, right? We're going to put words on the screen behind me and you can follow along with those. But I just want us to focus our attention in this um, section of scripture in Luke chapter 10 that's called the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. And some of you may already immediately begin to start shutting off your brains. You're like, oh yes, heard this message. Not this one. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> you haven't heard this one. Um, we might rename this a message. I'll just go ahead and throw you my title for what this would be. Um, the person you hate the most is closer to God than you. ha. <laughs> You heard, have, you, have you heard that message in church before? <laughs> I didn't think so. So anyways, uh, let's read this together. I want to start here in verse 25, and we'll read down through verse 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and tried to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Well, you have answered correctly, so do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he begins to tell a story. We call these things parables. So Jesus is now telling a story. This man goes from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine. Sounds strange. It's medicine, I guess, in the old days. <laughs> then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took, him, he took out two denarii, which is money, and he gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Here, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'm going to repay you when I come back. Then Jesus asked the lawyer this question Which of these three, right, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So that's the work that's before us today, and I just want to pause here and just pray. I know we've already prayed, and if you're visiting Renaissance, they pray an awful lot. Yes, we do. We don't know any other way to get through life but through prayer. So I want to pray for us that God would open our eyes to see this maybe a little differently, that that God also might um, prepare our hearts to receive what I think would be a real encouraging word from the Lord for many people here. Um, it also might be a, a word of... Um, I love you, but a a word of rebuke to some of us here in the room, I just told Josh before I walked out here, I feel as if God wants to talk to us almost like a parent who's been watching his children run around with scissors for a while. He's like, yeah, maybe not the best thing to be doing. I feel like the Lord just wants to share some things that are going to be helpful to us. Would you agree that the Lord wants to help us today? So that's all I'm asking, right? I don't know what side we're on here. Everyone, I don't need to know all of the stories, but right, I think God wants to encourage, maybe correct as well. And we'll let God do that because He knows better than us some days, yeah? All right, so let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear and to receive the truth that you have for us. God, we trust you. We know that you're good and all the things you do are good for your people. So just help us to receive the goodness that you have for us. Um, The Bible talks an awful lot about joy, the joy of the Lord. And so, Lord, we want to enter into that joy. And oftentimes, um, the Old Testament prophets would tell us that the way to enter into the joy of God is oftentimes through repentance. And so we want to go where you are in all things. God, we love you. We thank you for our time together. Thank you for 9.30 instead of nine. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Amen. We're just one step away from sleeping in just a little bit more. Maybe we'll go back to having service at 6 p.m. only again. How great would that be? Who wants that? You can have it. I'm just, I did that for a long time. Um, all right, so I've got to do a little bit of work here. And I'm going to get real animated because I do that when I, when I um, talk. I, get, I use my hands a lot, and it's apologies in advance. But you have to know this, that um, ever since I became a Christian, um, I've been on a quest to sort of understand the Bible, I believe the Bible is important to us. And I learned that early on as a Christian. Um, I was a Christian maybe four or five years, and I started taking classes at a local Bible institute. Just think like Bible college, but without the credits, right? I was taking the classes, studying the books, writing the research papers, doing all the work, just trying to find my way um, through the Bible and how to understand it better, Um, Because I think it's important for us. And one of the ways that I, I learned to read the Bible early on is that we see the Bible, and we can approach the Bible as sort of a book of history. And the Bible is, yes, it is a book of history. In fact, there are many secular scholars, people who don't follow God, don't believe that Jesus is God, but they look to our scriptures and say, this is a profound historical document. In fact, there are no other books like it in all of the world. It is a tremendous historical book. But it's more than just a historical book. It's also the book of God and who he is as a person. We can approach the Bible as a book of facts right? We can go and look at the facts that are in the Bible and sort of systematize them together and put them into little quadrants. For example, if I want to know about Jesus, I'll read the Bible and I'll take all of the passages that speak about Jesus and I'll put them in this bucket. How many people like buckets, right? And they put their stuff in the buckets and they, they, they work through that stuff. They systematize stuff. They want to learn about God. They put that in this bucket and all the, 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 the verses that talk about salvation or sin or whatever, all of those things, they put them in different buckets. And this is my favorite way to approach the Bible. This is how I, I grew up reading the Bible. But I've been reminded of another way that we can read the Bible. And this has been real helpful for me recently. And it's to read the Bible as a story. Not a story like it's made up because I do not believe this is a made up story. By story, I mean this, that it has an author. Would you agree with me that God is the author of the Bible, right? He used men and to write the words down. That's fine. But it's his story to tell, right? So the author is God, and he's telling a story, and the story kind of looks like this, and this is all Cliff Notes stuff, and I'm going to miss some of the details, and, and I'm like, send me the email if you want to, that's fine, but just a real rough, like fast pass through this stuff. But in the beginning of the Bible, we see God creating the heavens and the earth, This is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And he creates everything in it and places mankind inside of it, right? That's it. And he calls it very good. And at the end of Scripture, way over here, is another book called the book of Revelation. And the last two chapters of that book talks about God recreating the heavens and the earth. So this story that God is telling is one of creation. Something happens here in between, and then God is recreating everything. And this is the overarching story of the scripture. And inside of this story, there's a bunch of different characters that pop in and out. right? Moses and Abraham and Adam and Eve and Jesus and all these people. And what I want us to do is to look at the story of all the scripture today to try to better understand what this passage is saying to us. So, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything, puts mankind inside of it in this perfect place called Eden or the Garden of Eden, a place called paradise, tells Adam and Eve to tend it, to care for it, to be fruitful and multiply, let your mind wander in what that means, whatever that is, right? To do all of those things. And they were doing all of that perfectly until one day, uh uh-uh, they disobeyed God, In their disobedience, sin enters into the world, and now there's a fracture that takes place between God and his creation, yes, for sure, but another one takes place. And this is the one that we're going to focus a little bit, that there's actually a schism or a fracture between um, the the creation now, too. So between Adam and Eve, if you know the story, after they sin and they go before God, the woman begins to blame the serpent. The man begins to blame the woman. All of a sudden, no one's getting along. If you go one generation removed from Adam and Eve, you see that their sons, Cain and Abel, really don't get along. In fact, one of them kills the other one. So you can see quickly, because sin enters into the world, that there's a damage to the relationship between people. Okay? That's what we're trying to say. But God, before he exiles Adam and Eve outside of the promised land, outside of paradise, before he pushes them out, he promises to one day restore everything just like it was. Who wants all things to be restored? Anyone? Yes, all of us want that. We need that. We need our relationship with God to be restored. And I would argue our relationships with one another to be restored as well. So God, um, if we fast forward a couple generations, moving quickly now, we see God takes a man named Abraham and he takes him and his wife, Sarah, and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land called the promised land. You're going to move all of your people there and you're going to live there. And that's great. And they eventually move into that place and fast forward a couple generations. And now this people group is now a large people group, becomes a nation, the nation of Israel, if you will. And now they are united under one King. Yay. They're all back together again, doing God's work as an example to the world, what it looks like to follow God right? But if we fast forward from that moment, something happens. The kingdom that is one kingdom now divides again. There's some strife between people groups and Israel breaks into two pieces, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And now we see another thing that's taking place because of the fall, because of sin entered into the world. Even God's own people can't seem to get along. Amen? Anyone? Moving on, we'll talk about that later. All I'm saying is we see something is at work because of the sinful condition of the world and of humanity. But God wants his people to be drawn back together in the new creation... In the new heavens, in the new earth, the Bible tells us that people of all tribes, of all nations, of all ethnicities, of all people groups are living there together. So ultimately, the work that Jesus Christ is going to do on our behalf to restore God's kingdom is going to involve all of the people groups. At some point, we have to be drawn in together again. So uh, we fast forward this northern kingdom, this southern kingdom, having animosity towards one another, continue to disobey God. And God pushes them out of his place and their presence. We call this the exile. And the northern kingdom is exiled in 722 BC by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom holds on for a little bit longer, and they are eventually exiled too in 586 or something by the Babylonians. Too many details I know. I don't mean this to sound like a lecture, but you need to hear this. (laughs) You need to hear this. Because of their disobedience, they were exiled from God's place and God's presence. Does this sound like the garden story all over again? Isn't this the same story? It's the same type of story, that they had an opportunity to do the things that God wanted them to do. He even gave them the Mosaic Law, all the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. Just obey these things, and you'll be in perfect communion with me. But they can't even do that, and so they are exiled from God Again, Fast forward hundreds of years, now Jesus and the overarching story of God creating and recreating, Jesus enters this story. In the time when Jesus comes into the story, the people of God who were held in exile have now made their way back into what was the promised land. But now there's another people group living there, the Samaritans. And I could go into all kinds of backstory on who the Samaritans are, but you don't want me to, I promise you. <laughs> you don't want me to. Just know this. That the Jewish people, the Israelites, and the Samaritans don't like one another. The Jews look at the Samaritans and call them idolaters, and they're false worshipers, and whatever. And the Samaritans look at the Jewish people and say the same thing about them. That they're idolaters, and they're cultic, and their practices, and all of this. And they just don't get along. But interestingly enough, in the way that God loves his people so much, when the Jewish people come back to settle in the promised land, the Samaritan people are right in the middle of them. There's this little section down here called Judea, Jerusalem. Anyone heard of Jerusalem down here? And this place up here called Galilee. This is where Jesus is from. Anybody heard of Jesus, right? And right in the middle of all of this is these Samaritan people that they cannot stand. In fact, when people would travel from up in Galilee down to Jerusalem for some of the feasts, like Passover or first fruits, They would oftentimes not even walk through Samaria. They would go the long way around because they didn't like these people very much. So when Jesus is asked by this lawyer right, about uh, gaining eternal life and all that, Jesus responds with a story about a Samaritan, and we call it the Good Samaritan, but you need to hear me. They would have heard it something like this, the the good terrorist, (laughs) the nice Satanist. Because the the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans and thought they were all demon possessed and devil worshipers. In fact, there's a moment when Jesus is doing work, he's doing his ministry, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, come to Jesus and accuse him of being a Samaritan. Can you believe that? That's like like a cuss word to them. Right? That's the most derogatory term you could possibly imagine. All right, so now you see the tension right, that we're working through, that God has created. There's been a fall, separation. God wants to unite people. Right? He's desiring to do this. He's going to do so through his son, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we end in the new creation, whatever this looks like. And we'll talk about that on another day. But there's a work that has to be done here. And so this lawyer comes to Jesus Not even with clear motives, he's trying to trip up Jesus. And we can see that here in verse 25. And I'm going to go back to the story here now. And it says, And behold, a lawyer... Now don't think like civic lawyer or civil lawyer or criminal lawyer. Think of someone who just knows the law of Moses. So the first five books of the Bible, the the Mosaic books, right? This lawyer is trained and educated in those things. And he understands them well. And say, In fact, we could say this. It's probably his job to understand the law and to teach it to God's people. So this lawyer stands before Jesus looking to test him, to trip him up. His sole motive is to disprove Jesus as a real teacher. Right? Don't follow after that teacher or rabbi. Follow after us, the lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees. Follow after us. And he wants to trip up Jesus. And he asks them this question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? This is the question of all questions. In fact, this should be a question all of us should be answering. And should you get an opportunity to ask Jesus himself, like the lawyer, this is the first question you go to. <laughs> right? Not where's my keys? <laughs> or, you know, why did the Illinois lose in the second round? I, any of those questions that you might still be holding on to? Because they're not good, I'll just tell you. no. Anyway, so... ooh. <laughs> It got cold in here for a moment. Anyway, (laughs) too soon? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Okay. What must I do to have salvation? Just know this. The Jewish people um, have an understanding that God is eternal. The Bible uses language like this. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He exists outside of time. Blows our minds, I know. But just know this. They know if they want to have relationship with God who is eternal, that they too must be eternal somehow. But they're not. We know death comes for us all. In fact, death is a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden when sin entered. Not only were they banished from God's presence, there's strife and enmity between one another, but now death rules and reigns on the earth. And so this lawyer wants to ask the question that all people should be asking, how do I save myself? How can I go to the place where God is? How can I have eternal life with God? And Jesus responds to the question, and he says to him, well, you're the lawyer, verse two, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, the lawyer responds, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, right, all those things, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, this lawyer who knows the laws of Moses has boiled them all down to two things. Who loves Cliff Notes versions of things? This is the Cliff Notes version of those Mosaic laws, to love God and love people. In fact, if you, if you know the Ten Commandments at all, you might have no understanding of church at all or Bible at all, but you've at least heard of the Ten Commandments. The first few commandments are about us loving God, right? He says, don't put any other gods before me. Don't worship anything else but me. So that's loving God. And the rest of the commandments are about loving other people well. Things like, I don't know, don't kill people, right? Don't steal from people. It's how do we be good neighbors to one another? This lawyer summarizes it perfectly. All of the law says says this, love God and love people. Jesus says, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Pause real quick, I got a few moments. Uh, notice this, that Jesus points to the authority of scriptures, right? When he's asked the question, how do you gain eternal life? And, And Jesus points back to the Lord, he says, what do you think? And the guy quotes the Hebrew scriptures, the old Testament. And Jesus says, yes, that's where you go to find the answers. Hear me when I say this, the culture around us has all kinds of opinions on what it looks like to be spiritual and to follow after God. But I'm here to say that the authority that we should fall to is the same authority that Jesus points to, which is the Bible. Say amen, I'll move on, right? That's That's the stuff we need to hear. Our culture has no problem being spiritual. Our our culture has no problem telling people they can form an opinion on what it looks like to, to be a Christian, or to follow after God, or to gain salvation, or gain eternal life. But I'm here to say that the only true way to find those things is in the Scripture. Which is why Bible study is so important. Which is why... I almost said going to church... I would say going to a church that teaches the Bible is so important that the Bible is helpful to us. Jesus even agrees with the lawyer. Yes, you've looked in the right spot. He didn't, he didn't call upon traditions. He didn't call upon the cultural preference of the day. He called upon Scripture. Jesus agrees with that. But in verse 28, he says, yes, you have answered correctly, but do this and you'll live. Here's the answer. How do I get saved? How do I have eternal life? Love God, love people. And Jesus says, perfect. Now do it. Now think about that. None of us, if we were asked how, how does a person become a Christian, none of us are probably going to loving God, loving people. <laughs> we're probably thinking of Martin Luther's words, justification by faith. We're looking at a bunch of other things, right? Believe, with, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Anyone? Anyone? This whole born again experience. And I love how Jesus doesn't even respond in that regard. Now, here's what the danger could be, is we can misread what Jesus is driving at and make a different salvation um, doctrine out of this passage. We could say things like this. There's a gospel out there that says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to be saved, you just got to be like the good Samaritan. But if you hear that in this message, you're hearing it wrong. Yes, it looks like Jesus is saying that, but that doesn't count for everything else that Paul says and John says and all of the other people. There is a message of salvation that's real, that requires faith and all of those things. But Jesus is using this language to point to something else. Jeff, just say it. I'm trying. (laughs) What is it? What is it? There's something inside of him that Jesus sees and he uses this parable to expose it. He says, you have answered correctly. Now go do it. And why does he say those words to him? Because he knows that the lawyer can't. And he gives him an example. And he tells him the parable of a, 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 someone journeying from up in Jerusalem down to Jericho. This is a make-believe story. Did you know there are make-believe stories in your Bible? <gasps> what? Just because it's make-believe doesn't mean it's not true. Ooh. That's worth the price of admission right there, right? Jesus is making up the story, a hypothetical. What happens when someone goes down and gets beat up and is left half dead? And three people travel by, travel by. There's a priest and a Levite. These to the lawyer would have been people in the, the Jewish faith that would be highly exalted. If anyone's got it together, it's the priests and the Levites, but none of them stop to help the rob or the person that's been beat up, right? All right, so. But when the person comes by who is the Samaritan, the terrorist, the devil worshiper, and shows compassion on them. And he asks the lawyer, who, who is the neighbor in this situation? The lawyer couldn't even bring his lips to say the Samaritan. Look at this here in verse twenty or 37. Look in verse 37. The lawyer... After this whole message, and Jesus says, which one was the neighbor? He says, the one who showed him mercy, because he can't even say the Samaritan. What does all of this mean? Jesus is pointing to this reality. In his mind, he has ascended to the reality that all the law is summed up in loving God and loving others. And he has this mental understanding of what it means to gain eternal life. The problem is what he knows to be true and how he lives to be true are two different things. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to church. The, the things that we study and we know to be true, that we confess to be true are oftentimes not the things that we live to be true. That I mentioned earlier, I felt like God wants to talk to his children who he's been watching for some time running around with scissors they are just some things that we're saying with our mouths but not saying with our actions towards one another. This is why Jesus points to this in this story. The, the lawyer, he can't do the things. Here's the ultimate reality. Of all the law that God has given us, all the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, none of us can do them all. None of us can do them all. Enter into the overarching story of one who can. Does anyone want to guess who can do them all? It's not a trick question. (laughs) If you're visiting here, the answer is always Jesus. I'll never ask you anything else. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one who can do them completely and fully. What Jesus is trying to do is to just expose something in his life to save him. How many people have heard this language that no one knows Um, They they need a, a savior until they know that they need a savior, right? Like you can't save someone without first showing them that they need saved. This lawyer who has all the understandings, who probably knows the scriptures better than anyone, right? He still needs saved. He still needs to follow after Jesus to have eternal life. And Jesus just exposes that by saying, you know this to be true, but you can't live it to be true. I was praying with Joe earlier before I came out here, and he reminded me that it was John, the, um, the apostle, who says something in his uh, letter, 1 John, I think, that he says, for those of you who say that you love God but don't love your neighbor, you're a liar. <laughs> hmm. I've been called many things in my day. Probably going to be called some after you leave today, <laughs> right? But a liar is one of those things that I just can't take. I don't want to be a liar. I hold on to truth. Like, like, I'm, listen, I'm one of those parents who, when I make a mistake, like, I call my kids like in the middle of whatever they're doing and say, hey, your dad was wrong. I apologize, right? Anyone, right? Because I, I so want to stand on the truth. And to couple the words that John is speaking, plus with the words that Jesus is now telling the lawyer, um, I want to be a person who not only believes things to be true, but acts them out with one another. I, I, um, I've come to this understanding. Pastors in local congregations, much like myself, oftentimes have to address things that local congregations are going through. We always have to be people who preach the Bible, for sure. But if you can imagine a pastor, so to speak, um, who lives in a community that was just ravaged by maybe um, a tornado or something or or a huge catastrophe took place. That pastor, for the next few weeks, is going to spend some time talking about how to grieve, well how to still see God as good in the the midst of life's turmoil, right? And so local pastors will do things in their local congregations. I'm setting this up to say this. For some time, I have felt like God has showed me that the church locally here, and I'm talking about Little C Renaissance Church, has just not been very loving to one another. And this is not the first time I've said this. If you're visiting, you're like, man, this guy's off his rocker. I'm like, no, no, no. I've been saying this for some time now, and I'm just reminded of it again. Can I just get real for you for, with a, for a moment? Like, listen, if you don't want to come back, I get it. <laughs> but let me, let me say something to you before you leave. Last year exposed our unwillingness to be kind to one another. We've talked about this before, whether it be um, uh, opening churches or closing churches, wearing masks, not wearing masks, voting red, voting blue, and all of these things. And we're just seeing it not out in the culture, right, but in our own church. There's just been animosity and frustrations towards one another. And and hear me, it's raised its head again in regards to vaccines. (laughs) Just saw all your eyes go, whatever. (laughs) No, I know. I know, I know. Hey, can I tell you what I think about vaccines? I'm not going to. (laughs) Take that. (laughs) I just know there's opinions. And I'm like, I'm down with it. I'm like, whatever. Believe this, believe that. It doesn't matter to me. It's our unwillingness to be kind to one another. Again, this week, I'm praying for a young girl who's, who's having issues with people in the church because of her views on whether or not to take the vaccine. Not whether or not she should have sex with her boyfriend before they get married. Not whether or not she has to be baptized to be saved. Not whether, not, none of those things that probably matter more. But this issue... I just want to come before us, and I just want, am I okay, Joe? Joe's my litmus test. If he starts frowning, I'm like, we're all sunk at this point. (laughs) Joe and Chris, I got my eye on you too, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Like Caesar, nope, he's done. Um, Okay, I want to do this. I want to put it back in the scriptures, because this is what matters more. My words, I know, don't matter. It's what scripture is saying. Jesus uses these words to point to the reality that this person couldn't even imagine getting along with someone else. Couldn't even imagine. And, and, and my, the reason I told that story of God restoring or recreating everything is to, to prove to you that God can do a work to unite people that, that we can't do on our own. Um, if we're to be a united people, it's going to have to be God doing the work. And what this means for us is that we have to be a people first who see the shortcomings of our actions, right? This is what Paul is showing this person. And maybe what some of you might be hearing today, maybe you're hearing the Lord just gently nudge you. Yeah, you're like that. You're not very compassionate to people that you would call a brother or sister in the Lord. Right? And and when we do those things, all we have to do is respond in what we call repentance, We just say, God, I've blown it in this regard, and I'm returning back to you because you're good, you know the right way, and ultimately through your son Jesus, you're going to restore all things. And I want all things to be restored. I don't just want my relationship with God to be rekindled. I want my relationship with my neighbor to be rekindled. Can can I share? Okay, i got to quit asking you. I'm going to do it anyways. (laughs) There's probably nothing that frustrates me more There are many things that frustrate me, but you know, when you're stuck in traffic and you're backed up and you're backed up and you're backed up and there's that one car who just comes alongside and just skips all and skips all, (laughs) all all the traffic and then decides to merge at the last minute (laughs) and they just happen by God's good providence and grace to land right by you. And you're just like, well, of course Come on in, neighbor. (laughs) Yes. uh, uh, Obviously, you didn't see all the cars back there. It's not your fault. It's probably my fault. Let me back up a little bit so you can get in. Um, No, we laugh because we know it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Now, here's the deal. Why? I don't. I don't need to know for you I don't but for me it's because I have disdain for some people that I don't think are intelligent <laughs> That wasn't supposed to be a joke at all right it wasn't I I move in frustration and and an attitude and, and Jesus, in his story, he's almost like he's saying, the person you hate the most is closer to God than you. The Samaritan. It's a make-believe story, but you understand his point. He, he, he's doing the right thing, and you're not. So um, I don't know where to go from here at this point, um, except to just say that I think maybe, for some of us, this is speaking to us, right? And there's just an opportunity. We, we usually, at the end of the, the message, the band will come back up. We'll sing another song. And there's just a time to reflect and consider. And maybe you'll sit in your seat and you'll say something like, Lord, do I do that? Am I a person who, who believes certain things and acts a different way? I don't know if you are. My, my gut is you're not. My gut is you're a really wonderful person. And you get it. I mean, that's, I'm a glass half full guy. I'm the encourager beyond encourager. I see the best in all of you. All of you. But if you're not, if you if you really can't imagine yourself living, right, in a world with those people that you disagree with, there's something broken in your your newness. There's a newness that God is making available to you, and you're you're stopping short to under to live it out fully. It's 100% possible that this whole exercise was for me. Only, maybe, maybe. I read a tweet um, this morning um, in my prayer time in the bathroom. And... um, (laughs) Another pastor I follow on Twitter. The only social media I'm on is Twitter, and I don't tweet anything. I just follow a bunch of people. So if you text me or DM me or whatever that's called in uh, Facebook, I will never respond to you. I don't. I just don't get on there. But this guy named Jared Wilson, Jared C. Wilson, um, if that matters, he says this. A message of grace may attract them, speaking of people outside the church, but it's a culture of grace that will keep them. Oh, Now, for a moment, let's replace the word grace and just add love to maybe put it in the context of the Samaritan story. A message of love may attract them. And we know God to be a God of love who loved us when we didn't love him first, right? Because he loved us, we love him in return. He's the God of love. A message of love may attract them, those outside the church. But it's a culture of love that will keep them here. Um. Jesus says, they will know you belong to me because your love for one another. In Jesus' name, your bumper stickers, your merch, your wall art, hobby lobby art, all of those things, they're not defining your Christian faith. Those are things you believe to be true, and they are true. But your action is what's showing the world what you believe. Hmm. Well, thanks for coming if I never see you again. <laughs> I hope it's okay. I've, God, thank you. Just help us, Lord. We, if we're stuck, if we found ourselves in a place of not being loving because of our Views on things, Lord. You, you don't rebuke the view. You're you like, have an opinion, have a view, and that's fine. But Lord, if we've been unkind because of it, we're not acting like you. And just like Israel was, was chosen out of all the nations of the earth, you chose Abraham, you made a nation, and you chose them to be an example for the world, Lord. And that was one of Moses' arguments. When they're coming up out of Egypt and there's some frustration things going on. And and Moses was continuing to go before the Lord and says, Lord, but you said you would take your people into freedom. And if we all die out here in the desert, what kind of example is is that going to be to the world? God, you you desire us to be an example. It's part of the condition of the Christian." that we live before others. I think Jesus uses language like a light <laughs> for the rest of the world to see. We confess, Lord, we, we miss it. We miss it individually, corporately, Lord. We miss it. Will you move your church, your people, Will you move us to a place of confession and repentance and make us new, like fully new, into the things that you're leading us into? Mature us, sanctify us, mold us. Holy Spirit, be a sculptor in our lives and change us. Give us the strength to love. Give us help, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.